Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. How many here are disappointed that we only sang that once? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Next time we, we do it, we'll, we'll sing it multiple times. But it is, it is a, 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 a wonderful little hymn, uh, even a greater prayer. Uh, we pray that by God's grace, the Spirit of God would, in a very real way, descend upon us in a fresh way. Uh, this morning, we're going to uh, go back to the passage of Scripture that we had been considering uh, before the Christmas season. We're going to go back to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look specifically this morning at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, that great little passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul says, Walk in the Spirit, and ye will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You might remember that when we took a look at that passage of Scripture, and it's been a month now since we've been in Galatians, when we took a look at that passage of Scripture, one of the things that we said is that if you look at verses uh, 16, 17, and 18, each of those verses really contain truths that can be developed as sermons in and of themselves. Obviously, Galatians 5, 16, being filled with the Spirit, we're going to pick that up here today. Uh, but also in verse 17, where the apostle says how, this, how that the spirit lust against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. In other words, by way of the indwelling of the spirit of God and by way of the work of the spirit of God, there is this continual antagonism of the spirit against those things of the flesh. You and I have a great ally in our battle with the flesh. And we need to hear that, don't we? The reality that the Spirit of God has come alongside us, He is indwelling us, He is empowering us, again, to resist all the sinful impulses of the flesh. Very, very important. And then again there in verse 18 where the Apostle Paul says, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are not on the wall. And one of the things that we tried to emphasize at that point, again a month ago now, was the fact that by way of, by way of the work of Jesus Christ and by way of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, by way of being introduced into the new covenant, the passage of scripture that Bob read from Ezekiel 30, uh, from Ezekiel uh, 36 there, verses 25 and 27. You and I are brought into a new covenantal relationship with the living God. And that covenantal relationship has the indwelling of the Spirit of God, whereby we are now able, enabled, empowered to do the things of God. This reality of the Spirit of God is just so important in the life of the Christian, in the life of the Christian church. As a matter of fact, what I would say to you is this, there is no living of the Christian life apart from the ongoing work of the Spirit of God. Everything that you see by way of the, the demands, if I can say it that, that way, everything that we see by way of the injunctions of Scripture upon the New Testament believer are all kind of prefaced by the reality of the indwelling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do today is I want to come back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and I want to take a look not at the passage only in its context, which we did again a month ago, I want to take a look at it as an idea that really encapsulates a number of important biblical principles for you and I as we live the Christian life. And so by the grace of God, that's what we will do. So let's look here at Galatians chapter 5. We're just going to read verse 16 because that is going to be our starting point. And pretty much we're going we're gonna to work out from there. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says the following, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What a wonderful, what an encouraging passage of Scripture uh, for the Christian. Walk in the Spirit, and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. One of the things, again, that I just want you to be aware of is that as the Apostle Paul makes this statement, and again, this is something of review from about a month ago, what I want you to be aware of is that you remember that Paul is making this statement within the context of divisions and conflicts in the congregation. 
kind of interesting that when we think of that passage of scripture, walk in the spirit, we think of it, if I can say it this way, in the way that I'm going to treat it here this morning as an idea that kind of, that kind of uh, uh, I don't want to say dominates, but kind of uh, permeates the entire New Testament, this idea of the ongoing work of the spirit of God. But contextually, the Apostle Paul is specifically saying, in order not to, in order not to bite and devour one another, in order not to be troubled by false teaching, in order not to fall into these various factions and camps within a congregation, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now there, the lust of the flesh, contextually, is not so much what we would call some of those grosser forms of sin. Paul's going to pick that up in verse 19. It's the idea of the, 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 the works of the flesh in this context are those ideas of, of, these, of these hostilities and animosities that we have one toward another. Now, in small congregations such as ourselves, it's not as, as prevalent as it may be in larger congregations. In larger congregations, everybody seems to have their, their group that they uh, maybe uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, congregate with, uh, which is in, a, in and of itself is not a problem. But when, when there begins to be uh, accusations or subtle uh, remarks, one group toward another, uh, this one is only following that one because they like that one better. You know, all these things happen in the life of a congregation. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is in order to avoid that, in order to avoid that, walk in the Spirit, and you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so again, this is what we see as the, as the context for uh, this passage of Scripture. One more thing that I want to just bring out by way of uh, review. We didn't touch upon this, but I want to develop it here just a little bit. Is that not only were there these factions that were taking place within the congregation, the factions were the development of erroneous doctrine that the Galatians had been in danger of. And you remember, as we, if you, those of you who have been here with us, that the whole thing of Galatians was, you know, Paul addressing the error of the, of the Judaizers. And you remember what that was? That you were saved not by faith in Christ alone, but by faith in the observance in some way, shape, or form of the works of the law. Whether they were the external ceremonies of the law, whether they were the personal keeping of the law of Moses. The idea was is that there were these doctrinal divisions within the church. And the Apostle Paul even goes on to say earlier there in, Romans, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, that there were those who were in the congregation who were troubling you. This divided doctrine, excuse me, <clears throat> this erroneous... Excuse me, this erroneous doctrine was, was causing trouble in the congregation. And the word trouble is kind of interesting because the word trouble can be used in, in something of a, a picturesque form. Sometimes the word trouble can be used to the, to the disturbing of water. We see that in various places, both in the Old and the New Testament. But the word trouble can also refer to that agitation of mind that so oftentimes befalls an individual. Now, again, we don't always think of the troubling of mind that happens because of doctrinal divisions within a congregation. But I would dare say that if you've ever been in a congregation where doctrinal divisions were splitting the church, there would be a troubling of mind. Now, I want you to see something by way of this troubling of mind that the scripture speaks much to about, about, about this idea. If you don't mind, we're not going to really camp out here. But go to, go to Psalm, the sixth Psalm. Uh, psalm 6, the sixth Psalm. And I want you to see something here in this psalm, this psalm really makes a repeated uh, reference uh, to the concept of being troubled. Now, again, as you're turning there, please remember the trouble that the Galatians were facing, where it was a trouble because of the doctrinal divisions that were there. But notice here what we see in Psalm 6. And I think this is very, I think this will be very encouraging to any of you, any of us who may be experiencing trouble of soul and anxiety of spirit. 
Psalm 6. Listen to what the psalmist, what David writes. He says, O Lord, this is I'm reading from the ESV here this morning. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in wrath, in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Has anyone ever felt like that? Does the, does, the, does, the, the, does the psalmist have a partner, I might say, here this morning? All my bones are troubled. Listen to what he goes on to say. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? You see that you sense the desperation in the psalmist there. Again, in DSV, it has, it has this, this, uh, this dash between, O Lord, how long? In other words, the psalmist has almost said it. And in the words, feelings are now speaking, if I can say it that way. Verse 4, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Aren't you glad you can pray like that? Hear my prayer for thy name's sake. Answer this prayer of mine that your glory might be seen. Again, he goes on to say in verse 5, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my mourning every night. I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, O you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard my sound, the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my, my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and shall be put to shame in a moment. You see, this troubling the soul is a very, is a very, is a very, it's something that all of us know by way of experience. But I want you to know, and I want you to also hear this, that this troubling of soul, in that troubling of soul that you may experience, you have a Savior who says to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. This Savior who comes to you, who shepherds you, who cares for you, who shows you this kind of tender love. Oh, how we thank God, again, that in the midst of all of our troubles, whether they are congregational, whether they are personal, whatever they may be, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks a word to us. Let not your heart be troubled, Amen. neither be afraid. And so again, this troubling that the Galatians were being faced with is found there in verse 10. If you go back to Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 10, I have confidence in you through the Lord that they, that they will be none otherwise who, tr uh, who trouble you, and he shall bear his, his judgment whosoever he may be. So again, in this passage of scripture, I just want you to see again the, uh, the reality that even in the midst of all of our soul troubles, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has a word for us. The Apostle Paul, again, speaking about the trouble that may befall a congregation by way of doctrinal division. And I thank God that that's not been the case here. I, I really do. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I wasn't planning on saying this, but again, here I am making this statement. I'm so grateful that doctrinal divisions have not racked or wreaked havoc in this little congregation. I actually, uh, this week is uh, is uh, like the anniversary of uh, me and Elizabeth uh, first coming here. I think it was in 2017, the first Sunday uh, of that new year is when the first uh, the first time we preached here. And I can you know rejoice in the Lord that uh, no great uh, fractures have taken place in our congregation. <clears throat> very very grateful for that. We pray that the Lord's work will grow more and more. Uh, but again, we can give thanks for the fact that there's been no uh, great uh, serious division or, or, or fracture within our congregation. Uh, and again, the, the Galatians were experienced that, but Paul had a word of comfort for them. Well, this morning, like I said, what I want to do is I want to take a look at the concept 
of walking in the Spirit. What is it to walk in the Spirit? This is a vital thing for the Christian to know and understand. It is the great resource for the Christian. The Spirit of God is the great, is the divine agent empowering the Christian to do everything that the Scriptures call upon him to do. And so what I hope to do is I hope to develop that here for you this morning. Again, just by way of a, of a preview of our sermon, uh, we will see how the Holy Spirit is the great agent who empowers and enables the Christian to be sanctified and conformed to Christ. We will also see how the Spirit is involved in a whole series of activities. And I'm gonna, this is going to be our stress here today, that the Spirit of God is involved in a whole series, we might say a complex of activities in the life of the believer. And in one sense, that, that entire complex, that entire, that, 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 the, the, uh, the variety of, that, of, of, those work, of those actions are essentially one. The, the work of the Spirit is essentially bringing us into conformity to Christ through sanctification. You and I, again, the work of the Spirit is to make us more and more like Christ. Can I say it this way? Less and less like ourselves. More and more like Christ and less and less of ourselves, like ourselves. That's what the work of sanctification is all about. That's what the work of the Spirit of God is all about. And while there are a number of actions and activities, numerous, and we're going we're gonna to list them here today, maybe not all of them, but a majority of them, we're going to see that the one great thrust, if we had to sum up the entire work of the Spirit of God, what is it? It's to conform us to Christ. And we're going to see this again in a number of passages of Scripture. Well, listen just to some of these passages uh, that, that bring out this idea. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Bob read it here this morning. Did you catch it? When, when in verse 29, what does the apostle say? For whom, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. For what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. The great purpose of God is to conform you more and more like Christ. The great activity of the Spirit is to work sanctification and holiness in you to make you more and more like Christ. Another passage of scripture, I've probably not given it enough emphasis in my time here, but it's a, it's a great passage of scripture. It's a, it's a sister passage to the, to the one there in Romans 8, 29. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. This is a beautiful passage. I'm, I'm taking this from the NIV now. And we read the following. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. You see, the work of the Spirit of God is to make us more and more like Christ. And the, and the NIV here, transform into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Are you experiencing that? Do you know that? Again, let me say this. This is going to be something of a challenge here this morning. Do we know more and more of ourselves according to the flesh? Or do we know more and more of ourselves according to the work of the Spirit of God within us? I'm saying to you, I, I think I can speak for each and every one of you here. Even though your situation may be such that you might find yourself being more and more conformed to the old nature, you desire, you long for your great prayers that the Spirit of God will conform you more to the image of Christ. Yeah. I better get an amen on that. <laughs> so, and then one more passage of Scripture. That in this idea of being conformed to Christ, the way that gives expression to itself is in our being responsive to the word of God. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, speaking of Christ. Then he said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will. The Spirit of God leads you and leads me to do the will of God as revealed in Holy Scripture. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Well, again, all this brings me to the, the primary proposition that I'm going to set before you here today, uh, something of our doctrine, as we usually say. And the proposition that I want you to kind of, that I want to develop with you this morning is essentially this. Walking in the Spirit is living the Christian life as God intends. Walking in the Spirit is living the Christian life as God intends. It is not 
an exemplary, extraordinary expression of the Christian life. It is the very Christian life itself. The Christian life is lived out by walking in the Spirit. Again, it is living all of life through his personal empowerment as we are conformed to Christ, living under the authority of the Word of God. Once again, walking in the Spirit is, the li is living the Christian life as God intends. It is living all of life through his personal empowerment as we are conformed to Christ, living under the authority of the Word of God. And so again, that's what we're going to take up here this morning. Now again, because our, our sermon is not so much uh, expository uh, in the sense that we're looking at just one passage of Scripture, it's more of a topical passage, uh, more of a topical sermon that we're doing here today. The, the, the outline that I want to use is not so much rising up from the text, but it's an outline, again, that I want to set before you, and we'll, we'll trace it out as we go along. And the outline that we're going to follow is this. Number one, we're going, to, we're going to see that the Scripture presents to us the Holy Spirit as the divine agent empowering every aspect of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent empowering every aspect of the Christian life. I'll say it again. We can't live the Christian life apart from the Spirit of God. We can't, be the church of, we can't be the church of Jesus Christ apart from the Spirit of God. So again, the Spirit of God is the divine agent empowering every aspect of the Christian life. Secondly, we're going to see this, the Holy Spirit and his various activities conforming us to Christ. Now, as I said before, there are these various activities that the Scriptures bring forth by way of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in one sense, we can classify them as one great action of the Spirit of God, but we can distinguish and delineate between them. And we'll take a look at that. And then thirdly, what I want you to see is that in the Scripture, particularly in Romans chapter 8, and this is the reason why Bob read Romans 8 this morning, and in Galatians 5, the passage of Scripture that we're in, we're going to see that there are many similarities these passages are very closely related. And what's interesting is that while they are closely related, and while much of the same language is shared in, in chapter 8 of Romans and in Galatians chapter 5, what we're going to see, or what I'm going to suggest to you anyway, is that in Romans chapter 8, the work of the Spirit seems to focus on personal holiness. Whereas in Galatians chapter law, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter five, the work of the Spirit seems to focus on congregational love, personal holiness and congregational love. Wouldn't we be a wouldn't we be a blessed people if we were living in the fullness of all that, personal holiness and congregational love? Well, by the grace of God, let's see what we can do here this morning. And the first thing I want you to do with me, uh, that I would like to, to do with you this morning is, again, just take a look again at, uh, at verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. Again, the great statement, Paul says this, again, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For those of you that were here with us a month ago, you might remember that one of the things that I said is that it was very surprising to me uh, that many commentators on this passage of scripture uh, viewed the reference there to the Holy Spirit, viewed the reference to the Spirit, not so much to the Holy Spirit, but to the renewed Spirit within man. And one of the things that they were saying, and one of the, one of the points that they try to emphasize is that what Paul is saying, in their view, what Paul is saying is that if you and I live according to the new nature, will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, a, that's true enough as, as we understand what the Christian life is all about. It, 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 it would be foolishness on our part if we think that we can live according to the desires of the flesh and in some way be, uh, be walking in a way that's pleasing before God. We would see, well, that, okay, fair enough. But I don't think that that's what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture. 
I think what Paul is specifically saying is this, that we are to walk in the power of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of that what he is calling us to here in verse 16, to walk by the Spirit of God is to walk in that divine enablement that the Spirit of God gives, that there is a reality of, of, the, of the power of the Spirit of God indwelling the believer and resting upon the believer that gives the believer the ability to live according to what God calls him to do, how, how God calls him to live. And I think without question that that is what Paul is aiming at here. The idea here, again, nothing wrong with the idea that, you, we, that we should not uh, follow, let's stay in Galatians here, that we should not follow the works of the flesh, verses 19 through, 20, uh, through 21, but we should follow, that we should see, seek to see cultivated uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit, verses uh, 22 through, uh, through and 23. Fair enough, but I think here the point that Paul is making is even more impactful than that. It is the fact, the reality, that the believer has within himself or herself the Spirit of God indwelling, the Spirit of God abiding, the Spirit of God enabling. Aren't you glad that that's the, the nature of the work of uh, uh, the nature of the work of the Spirit of God? Aren't you glad that that's the reality of Christianity? Christianity is not just making you a better you. Isn't that what some people say, right? The, the, God make, uh, the gospel makes you the best version of yourself. Well, it's more than that. Christianity, again, is the reality of the indwelling power of the Spirit of God, making us more and more like Christ. And so again, this is the great emphasis that we see here in the passage of Scripture. And notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. Some of you might be familiar with the idea. This concept of walking is, uh, is uh, it's pretty much uh, established uh, throughout the Bible as to what it means. It really means uh, our course and conduct of life. Uh, it's used to express the, how people live. We might talk about people who live or who walk in a very careless manner. Uh, Paul uses the expression about those who walk circumspectly in a very in a very attentive manner. Uh, we have this idea then that the word walk means our course and our conduct of life. And I ask you a question. If you look back on your walk, your course and conduct of life, what goal and what direction are you walking toward? If you are walking according to the flesh, well, what do you think is going to happen? If we sow according to the flesh, we shall reap according to the flesh. If we sow to the wind, we will reap the whirlwind. But if we're walking according to the Spirit, again, you see the difference. And that's why Paul says, and it's an imperative there in verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the idea is this, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh walking in the direction of the Spirit. And you're not going to fulfill what the Spirit is calling you to, walking by way of the power in the direction of the flesh. And so again, this is what Paul is making here, is saying here at this uh, at this point. Again, as I said before, the word walk becomes uh, 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 becomes a very normal expression of living the Christian life. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses it, and it's like what we might say it's Christian setting, it's Christian context. Uh, the Apostle John uses it as well. Paul says it in the following ways. He says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 12, he says, he says that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. He, <laughs> he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 1. He says, uh, therefore we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us uh, how you ought to walk and to please God. Now notice, walk worthy of God, to walk and please God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12, uh, Paul says this, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. And then one more thing that Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, he says, for we hear, now this is important, listen, he says, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, 
not working at all, but as being busybodies. And so what we see here again is that Paul is specifically laying out that manner of walking that we're called to. That manner of, uh, of walking uh, that exemplifies the Christian life. Now, the Apostle John picks up the same concept of walking as well. And John says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This idea of walking in darkness then is a characteristic of a life that's not pleasing to God. Verse 7, First uh, John uh, 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Again, that idea of what the Christian life looks like. And then 2 John uh, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, John says this, And this is love that we walk after his commandments. And of course, that great passage where John says in his third epistle, ver excuse me, verse 4, he says this, I have no greater joy than, my, than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So this is again what the work of the Spirit is in us. He enables us to walk in ways that are pleasing to God, to walk worthy of the Lord, to walk not as the Gentiles walk, Paul says in another passage of Scripture. And so again, this is the idea that Paul is saying here. But what I'm trying to emphasize here, by way of this, by way of this overall general truth, is that every acting of the believer that is pleasing to God or that is in conformity with the Word of God is energized and brought about by the Spirit of God. You and I are greatly dependent upon the ongoing work of the Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, we cannot live the life that Christ has called us to. We're called not just to a, a higher level of, hum, of human morality. We are called to live we are called to live a Christ-like life in this world. And that's the point that Paul is emphasizing here. Now, some of you have heard me make mention of uh, the great uh, Puritan theologian of the past, uh, John Owen. Uh, John Owen probably has, it's probably still the standard work on the Holy Spirit, certainly in English, uh, in, in our day. Uh, it was uh, certainly a, a landmark uh, uh, work that he, uh, that he produced. And he says this about this passage of scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, about his description of what it is to walk in the Spirit. And that's a good question. You know, what is it to walk in the Spirit? I mean, I, I think that this was, this was one of the first questions that came to my mind even a month ago when we first came to this passage of Scripture. What is it to walk in the Spirit? What does it look like? What does it mean? How, how do we kind of like put flesh and bone on it, if I can say it, say it that way? What does walking in the Spirit look like? Well, again, Owen says the following. He says, The walk in the Spirit is to walk in obedience unto God according to the supplies of grace which the Holy Spirit administers unto us. For so it is added, we shall not then fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is, we shall be kept up unto holy obedience and the avoidance of sin. I, I, I love the expression. I really do. The idea that all these things that are happening in us by way of our obedience to God <clears throat> is all the effect and the work of the Spirit's empowering us. And so again, this is what it is to walk by the Spirit. Now, now when, we, when we look at the other places in the Word of God, one of the things that we see is that the Spirit of God is leading us, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, He's leading us in all, good, in all goodness and all righteousness and all truth. Matter of fact, if you just take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, notice what the Apostle Paul says, Ephesians 5, verse 9. I'll just give you a, a moment to get there because I want you to see here that there are three categories listed here. And these three categories, again, are comprehensive, or I, I should say it this way. These three categories are brought out or brought to bear in our lives 
by the work of the Spirit of God in us. So that when Paul says this in Ephesians 5, verse 9, kind of similar to, Ephesians, uh, to Galatians 5, verses 22 and following, Paul says this, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So any goodness, any righteousness, any living according to the truth that you and I do is the fruit of the Spirit of God. Do you understand why we say, again, that apart from the work of the Spirit of God, apart from the indwelling and empowering of the Spirit, there can be no living of the Christian life. Now, this is not something that was that is just locked up to the New Testament. It is preeminently the feature of the New Covenant. But that aspect of the New Covenant was spoken of repeatedly in the Old Testament, and at least in three primary places. Again, our opening reading from, from Ezekiel 36 that Bob read this morning. I will, I will take out from you the heart of flesh and, and give you a, and, 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 and take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you to walk after my commands. This was the great promise of the new covenant. But Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 is not the only place that we see this. We also see this again in, uh, in Ezekiel, uh, earlier in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 11, verses 19 through 20. And we read this, and I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. Well, that's the, this is the spirit of God that he's speaking of here. I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of their flesh. And I will give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances. And do them and they shall be my people. And I will be their God. You see how the spirit of God is given to conform us. Again, to use New Testament expression here. To conform us to the image of Christ. It's not just to make us a better version of ourselves. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to harp on that. I just want you to see and understand that, you know, the goal here is to be conformed to Christ, not to be a better me, so to speak. Jeremiah 32, verses 39 and 40. Again, the same promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 32, verses 39 and 40. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after me. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn and I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, and they shall not depart from me. Well, you see again, here is that prophesied glorious ministry of the Spirit of God, of which you and I are the beneficiaries, the, the beneficiaries of that great of that great ministry. So that's again, as I was saying before, that's this idea of the of the activity, the work of the Spirit of God outside of the immediate context of Galatians chapter five. And what we're seeing again is consistent throughout that it is all the all the works of all the works of obedience, all the activities of grace are all empowered by the Spirit of God, whether it's in goodness, whether it's in righteousness, whether it's in truth, any category of, 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 of living that brings glory to God is brought about through the enablement of the Spirit of God. Now, let me say this. I don't have that. I didn't put this in my notes here, but, but, but let me say this. One of the things that I would suggest to you at this time is that the enablement of the Spirit of God does not equal a passivity within the soul. What I mean by that is essentially this, that we are not just to wait for the what is it in John chapter 9? There was the blind man, right? And when the waters were stirred, whoever got in the water first, you remember how that, how that account goes there in John chapter 9. We're not to passively just wait for the moving or the stirring of the Spirit, but rather we're to be actively engaged in living out the life that God has given to us with the, with the, with the natural gifts and abilities plus the spiritual gifts that he has given to us. And we are like the Apostle Paul to actively engage life. So like Paul says, 
He says when he was when, when he was making reference to to him and the and, and, and other uh, gospel workers, uh, he says he says yet I labored more abundantly. He says I labored more abundantly than they all. Remember how he finishes it up though. He says yet not I, but the grace of God working in me. And so what we see here is that the Spirit of God working in the life of the believer does not lead to this passive kind of waiting there is a time when we must wait on god this is another this is another emphasis another point of focus that we're not bringing in here but by way of the work of the spirit as the empowering agent as the divine agent it does it does not suggest to us this passivity it, it, it suggests to us and even brings us to this enlistment of all of our renewed faculties to the service and the glory of god again you know forgive me Amari, you're a young man. You got you got so much in front of you. God has given you gifts and talents and ability to use those things for the glory of God. For those of us maybe older, again, we have young people, older people, we have the whole mix here. Oh, again, that we would take that which God is doing in us and, and surrender it wholly and completely to the active work of the Spirit of God within us. Oh, what a beautiful, what a great work that God would do in and through us. And so again, I come back to this point that every action Every act of grace in the believer is empowered by the Spirit of God. And that brings us again now to our second point, our first point being, again, every action uh, in us is by way of the Spirit of God. That brings us to our second point now, the various activities of the Holy Spirit in conforming us to Christ. Now, as I said before, in one sense, we can say that it is one great action of the Spirit of God to make us like Christ. But that one great action has these various threads or these various streams all running into this great rush of his work going forward. And listen to, the, listen to, the, uh, to this list that um, a writer of, a, of a, a couple generations ago, many of you might be familiar with him, uh, A.W. Pink, he has a work on the Holy Spirit. And he, he lists the following works of the Spirit of God that are all, again, can be comprehended under the idea of conforming us to Christ. He speaks about the Spirit of God regenerating us. And that's the, that, that is, again, in one sense, that the, 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 the initial starting point. Uh, the Spirit of God gives to us life. We cannot give life to ourselves. We are not, we are not, we are not if I can say it this way, auto-generated. Uh, again, that new life comes about by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit regenerates. <clears throat> the, the Spirit quickens our minds. The Spirit enlightens us. The Spirit brings conviction to our soul. The Spirit comforts us. The Spirit draws us. The Spirit works faith in us. The Spirit unites us to Christ. The Spirit indwells us. The Spirit teaches us. The Spirit cleanses us. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit assures us. The Spirit witnesses to us that we are the sons of God, the, the, the children of God. The Spirit seals us. The Spirit assists us. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit transforms us. The Spirit pres uh, preserves us. The Spirit conforms us. The Spirit gives, uh, develops fruit in us. The Spirit endow endows, us, uh, endows us with power. Just so you see this, this multiple, these, these multiple elements of the work of the Spirit of God, all one great action, Again, in these various, uh, in these various uh, you know, distinctions, we might say, but if we were to sum up the entire work of the Spirit of God and all those things that we have listed there, what would we say? The Spirit of God is conforming us more and more to the person of Christ. He is changing us from one glory unto another as we behold our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what, amen, thank God. So that's, that's what the Spirit of God is doing within us. But the other thing that I would say is this, that as believers, we have a responsibility to the Spirit of God. As believers, we have a responsibility to the Spirit of God. And this may never have occurred to you, but there are six sins against the Holy Spirit other than that 
grievous sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And when I say that there are six sins, there are six things that we see that we're either warned about or we find individuals guilty of that have, uh, that have uh, you know, dire uh, uh, repercussions. And those responsibilities then are this. Number one, our first responsibility, and this is not in any order. This, is, this order has just been randomly put together. There's no priority here. But the first thing that we see here is that our first responsibility is to not quench the Spirit of God. First, uh, first Thessalonians chapter uh, 5, verse 19. We also see, again, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, sometimes this passage of Scripture escapes us. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, uh, the writer says this. He says, and this is one of those warning passages where he's warning his, uh, his readers, again, to stay faithful to Christ. He says this, How much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy of who has trodden underfoot the Son of God? And has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in the holy thing, and has done despite unto the spirit of grace. Has done despite to the spirit of grace. Has in a in a, in a, in a very real way. Uh, what's the other word that I'm looking for that would be synonymous here? That is that is uh, not just rejected, but but rejected in, a, in, a, in an offensive way. The work of the spirit of God. And what the writer of Hebrews is warning against is, listen, there is this wonderful work of God in salvation where we have this emphasis not only on the work of Christ, but also on the work of the Spirit of God. Let us not despise that. Let us not do despite to the work of the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Uh, another, this is a well-known passage. And grieve not the, Holy, the Spirit of God by which you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So quench not, grieve not, do not, the, do, not uh, do despite uh, to the Holy Spirit. Remember when Paul, when uh, uh, when um, when um, or, uh, when Stephen was preaching in the book of Acts in Acts chapter seven, and when he saw that the uh, that the uh, religious leaders, the, those he was preaching to, were rejecting the things of the Spirit of God, what does he say? He says in, in Acts chapter seven verse fifty one, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did." And this is, again, something that, again, having come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've not rejected or resisted the Holy Spirit. But in a relative way, that resisting of the Holy Spirit would look like quenching or grieving. We don't want to do that, do we? We want to be as responsive to the work of the Spirit of God as we can be. Again, in um, one more that uh, we see here, uh, again, the, 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 the very grievous um, sin of Ananias and Sapphira, in Acts chapter 5, uh, Peter says to how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of God? And again, this idea that they were lying to the Holy Spirit concerning that purchase, that sale of land uh, that, they had, uh, that they had received uh, funds for. And then one more passage of Scripture, and this is important because the, the emphasis here is not just on a personal, has personal application, it has a congregational application as well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now listen to what he says. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. There's a twofold emphasis there. It's on the personal indwelling of the Spirit of God. And we know this language, right? The, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a reference to the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is the temple of the Spirit of God. And the point that Paul is making is this. Woe to those, woe to those who defile or destroy the temple, the church of Jesus Christ. You see, the, the emphasis here then is twofold, as I said before. 
So that's what we have in this passage of scripture. Now, just very quickly, we're going to get to our third point, and, and I know that this is, we can develop, we can spend a lot of time here, but I'm not going to do this. I am going to ask you, however, to take your Bibles, and you're in Galatians chapter 5, go to Romans chapter 8 now. And what I want you to see is, I want you to see, as I said earlier, how that in Romans chapter 8, the work of the Spirit is similar to the work of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but in Romans chapter 8, its emphasis falls on the work of the Spirit of God sanctifying us personally, personal holiness, but in Galatians chapter 5, the emphasis is on congregational love, and that's very, very important. But notice here, notice the, the similarities of the language and the ideas that are expressed. Paul says, walk in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Look there at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. Again, speaking about uh, the reality of walking uh, in, in, in the Spirit. Notice again uh, where Paul says in verse, uh, in verse 18 of Galatians 5, he talks about being led of the Spirit. And then look there again in Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 14, Paul speaks about being led of the Spirit. He uses the categories of flesh and spirit, both in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 17, uh, again, the, the spirit, uh, the spirit lust against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Uh, again, he uses those categories in Romans chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. And notice what he says here in verses 4 and 5, uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the categories are the same. It's very interesting. We see the similarities here, direct similarities by way of the language. But we also see approximate similarities as well. We see that living according to the flesh results in spiritual death, Romans 8.13. Uh, we must mortify the deeds of the flesh. If we don't mortify the deeds of the flesh, we shall die. In, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses, verses 19 and following, Paul talks about the, the works of the flesh. And again, very destructive in their, in their results. Paul speaks about the Spirit giving life in Romans 8.13 as well. And he speaks about the Spirit producing fruit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. So we have direct expressions, we have approximate similarities, but we also have what we might call remote similarities as well. Paul speaks about the, the law being fulfilled in Romans 8 verse 4, and he speaks about the law being fulfilled in Galatians 5, 14 and 6 too. In Romans chapter 8, 15, he speaks about uh, our crying out, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4, verses 5 and 6, he uses the same terminology of our referring to God as our uh, as Abba, Father. In Romans 8, 17, he speaks about as us as being heirs. And in Galatians 3, 29, he speaks about us being heirs of Christ as well. Well, what I want you to see, though, again, moving very quickly, what I want you to see is this. If you were, re if you were to read through Romans 8, you would see that the predominant emphasis of the work of the Spirit of God, while it has congregational implications, it is on the personal work of the Spirit of God forming holiness within us. Amen. But if you look at Galatians chapter 5, what we find is the Spirit of God working congregational love among us. And this is vital. So go, go, go back to Galatians chapter 5. And notice what we have here. Again, in, in, uh, in, in verses... Um, in, in, in verses um, 13 through 15, Paul says this, For ye, brethren, have been called to liberty. Do you remember we preached from this passage? Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So this spirit-enabled liberty is not for us to live any way that we please, but it's that we might by love serve one another. Look in verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see the congregational element here. 
But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Congregations are destroyed when 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 individuals in that congregation in those congregations don't don't walk in the spirit, exemplifying itself in congregational love. But it continues on. Look here in verses twenty six in the in the chapter six verse two. Uh, verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Listen to what he says in verse uh, in chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be over, overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And the emphasis here is this. Here we are in the congregation. And a brother, a brother, a man or a sister who we know is a, is a genuine believer, they've fallen into some kind of sin, completely out of character for them. And what do we do? Stand aloof from them and say, you see, I knew, I knew, I knew, give that guy enough time and I knew that would happen. No, we don't do that. We come alongside him. And again, we bear, we bear his burden. We, we minister. You see the congregational aspect here. But notice also what we have here in verse 2. Bear ye one another's, now listen to this, this is significant. Bear ye one another's and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right? Galatians chapter 2. Go back here now and I should have this, oh, I should have this, I should have this marked out. Uh, here, um, um, in, uh, earlier in here in, uh, in, in in Galatians chapter five, we have again the fulfilling of the law. Oh, and forgive me here um, in verse fourteen. So in, in Galatians uh, chapter five, verse fourteen, notice this: For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this: Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, look at verse two here of, of Galatians six. For, uh, for uh, bear you one another's, and thus and, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want you to see that this this fulfilling by way of the empowerment of the Spirit, this expressing itself in this congregational love, forms something of bookends for everything that Paul is saying in between. So when we have this great emphasis on the work of the Spirit of God in Galatians five, it's not exclusively, but it's predominantly congregational love. When we have this emphasis on the work of the Spirit in Galatians 8, it's, it's not exclusively, but it's primarily on the development of personal holiness within us. And so we come back then to this idea that every activity and every action, every gracious action brought about in the life of the believer is through the empowering agency of the Spirit of God. And it leads me to say this, oh, how much we need the Spirit of God, how much we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. There is no element of the Christian life that can be fulfilled or performed or engaged in apart from his ministry. Now, again, don't under, let me say this. Don't underestimate what I would call those personal and affective, A-F-F, not E-F-F, affective elements of his ministry to where you sense the presence of God in a very sweet and a very tender way. And I hope and I pray all of us know what those times are. And again, one of the, th the thing that I, I want to say here, and while I don't want you in any way to, to diminish that or to think little of that, I want you to understand and to prioritize that when the Spirit of God is working within you, He's working within you to bring about all of that which is revealed in His Word. I go back to the passage of Scripture, we, one of the passages we opened with in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will. That was the purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit of God is conforming us to Christ... It's not just these great emotional movements that we sense and experience as we, as we think about some of the things of God. I don't want to diminish that at all. I want you to understand that the Spirit of God is calling you to live in accordance with the Word of God. Let me say this. The Holy Spirit is leading you to follow and obey a clear command of Scripture, scripture more than He is leading you to do something, quote-unquote, you feel led to do. 
Sometimes we can't, sometimes there's, there's not a distinction. Sometimes the Spirit of God is moving us by, great, by way of great impulse to do what the Word of God says. There are other times, again, when, we, when we're kind of summarizing, we, we believe that the Spirit of God is leading us in this direction and leading us in that direction. But I can tell you this, that you can know with infallible certainty that when you are fulfilling what the Word of God calls you to, that is the action and activity of the Spirit of God upon your soul. The Holy Spirit will always cause the Holy Spirit will always will always cause you to quote unquote to feel to be led to do whatever Scripture commands, and the Holy Spirit will always cause you quote unquote to feel to be led to not do what it prohibits. You see, all of this is bound up. The Spirit of God is working in conjunction with the revelation given, and it makes sense because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's the Spirit of God who, who, who it's the Spirit of God uh, who was uh, who, who was the great agent in the writing of Scripture, and so there would be no no distinction here. And so, in all these things, we see again the activity, the the agent of the uh, of the Spirit of God. Uh, we see again the, uh, the 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 various ways in which the Spirit of God works. We see again that congregational element as well as that personal element of holiness. But let me finish in saying this: If I spent these last however many minutes speaking about the Holy Spirit and didn't mention again and close out in a way to cause you to think about Christ, I will fail to have preached properly about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is drawing your soul to Jesus Christ. Greater levels and greater and a greater degree of love for Christ is the mark of the Spirit of God working within you. And yes, on a very personal level, by way of personal holiness, and all the yes, 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 but also by way of our congregational love one for another. Wouldn't this be a wonderful place if when we gather to worship on the Lord's Day, we were full of the Spirit of God advancing in personal holiness? but also advancing in congregational love one toward another. What a, what a wonderful way to come to the table of the Lord. What a wonderful way to know that this table represents everything that Christ has done for us by way of his love for us. And so as we close this sermon, as we prepare for the table of the Lord, I'll do as I always do. All those who are here through faith in Jesus Christ are, are welcome to this table. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, well, the table is not for you. Please don't be offended at that. The Lord himself sets the parameters for this table. This table is for the people of God. If you're here this morning again and there is a believer and you may have un unconfessed sin, please take the time now to confess that sin before God. And again, let us, let us come. As the Apostle Paul says, uh, let a man examine himself and so let him come. This, this, uh, this warning is not to chase you away from the table of the Lord. This, this warning is, is meant to, to help you to engage biblically uh, and truly what God intends by this. Well, let's pray. Our Father and our God, how we thank you for your great grace. Oh, Lord God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this. I pray, Father, that all who are gathered here today might call out to you, Father, that they might know what it is to trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. And if there are any here, Father, today that, that don't know you through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that by the work of your Spirit, you would bring about regeneration, and that the first act of that regeneration would be the profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, bring these things about, we pray. Father, by way of your Spirit, work mightily and effectively in us and through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.